The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to a horse racing edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Time, as always, and the K in CTBK, Gene Kirshner, who also covers horse racing for the Buffalo News. He is in Louisville, Kentucky right now. He has been down there doing his homework. And as he's uh, been doing all throughout the week, uh, covering this race, we've, uh, we're going to get into his six degrees of separation, which sounds kind of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but six degrees of separation on the Kentucky Derby field. And also a pretty cool local story, uh, Victor High School graduate Ray Lou Gutierrez is going to be uh, aboard Barber Road. And uh, just a great, uh, great story there uh, that is uh, up at the Buffalo News also. We're going to talk to Gene about that. But Gene, tell us, how's uh, Louisville, Kentucky treating you so far? Louisville's good. I was on the back stretch this morning uh, talking to uh, Ray Lou and uh, some, some of the trainers and uh, some, uh, some of the owners. Uh, it was an overcast morning, um, but, but pleasant. Uh, I've been here on Thursday mornings where it's been pouring rain and it's no fun trying to uh, be back in the barn area where it's muddy and you know smelly and all that good stuff. But uh, we had a good Thursday morning, so that that was good. Uh, pretty lively. The they have a training window uh, every morning leading up to the Derby, where just the Derby and Oaks horses uh, train from seven thirty to seven forty-five. So they clear the track, they um, get it ready for the for the contenders, uh, which are about uh, 40 or so uh, horses and uh, makes, makes it a great time to, you know, get to, get to the rail and uh, get a look at the horse flesh uh, going by and seeing how your horse looks before the, before the big day. But uh, got some rain in the forecast tomorrow. Uh, looks like Oaks day is going to be pretty, uh, pretty soggy. Um, although Saturday for the Derby, they're saying about a 40% chance of rain, but it looks like it might be a, a little bit chilly, uh, around 60 degrees or so is what they're saying, uh, in the long range, long range forecast. The, um, uh, attendance, uh, Churchill Downs, you know, is a public company. So they, uh, you know, not only project their earnings, but they project, uh, what they think is going to happen, uh, from an attendance standpoint and with, you know, COVID restrictions last year were limited, the uh, the crowd to 55,000 or so. They think they may uh, even bust that 2015 record of 170,513. So, wow, big number, big number, uh, and they, they hadn't uh, they hadn't hit it the, the four previous or subsequent years to uh, 2015. 
uh, it actually went down uh, in those years, but they're, they're thinking they're going to have a big return uh, to the Derby. I could, I could tell today, they call it Thurby, the Thursday before Derby. Uh, Thurby was a big day. I mean, they, as I left around two o'clock this afternoon, there was people streaming into the to Churchill's Downs and uh, all dressed up already and ready to roll for the weekend, I think. Gene, do you think that the crowd impacts the horses? And I'm talking about, I'm, I'm not like uh, the right fielder who has to hear uh, the serenade or, or get heckled when the ball gets over his head uh, type thing, but just the sheer uh, amount of people, the noise, uh, the energy. Uh, do you think that 55,000 to 100 and however many thousand that show up, do you think there's a difference on the, on the horses? Uh, certainly. Uh, I mean, that roar of the crowd when they come through the tunnel with uh, my old Kentucky home playing is uh, incredible. And as they get uh, down and walk down to the gates, you know, as they pass each section, uh, the crowd goes crazy. So the horses at the outsider, out, outer gates, like the 17, 18, 19, 20, are, are you know, loading last. And, uh, you know, the big roar of the crowd when the last one, you know, gets into the gate, we've there, there was a horse a number of years ago, a Japanese horse that didn't even, he came out of the gate and he just reared up and he was done at that point. And uh, a lot of that, I think they blamed the crowd, you know, just freaked him out. Uh, so it definitely can happen. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Well, Gene, I, I want just because we finished up uh, the NFL draft uh, over the past week, I think it's a good segue. You mentioned, you know, all the research that you do on these horses uh, over the months and now you're talking about being in the in the backstretch today, getting a look at these horses. It reminds me of some of the uh, talk that you hear scouts say about the uh, NFL scouting combine. And you watch the tape and you see these guys on film and you meet them uh, and you see them up close in person during their season of playing football. Uh, and then there's this danger uh, when you get to the scouting combine and all of a sudden you see with your own eyes, this guy rip off, uh, you know, 27 bench press reps. Uh, or run the 40 in, uh, in 4-3-7 uh, when you didn't think he did that. Uh, and then you fall in love uh, with, the, with the prospect and how dangerous that can be. Uh, can you uh, maybe get into what the information that you glean when you're on the scene in Louisville, when you're there at Churchill Downs, uh, and how valuable slash dangerous it can be in actually uh, affecting your, your evaluations? Yeah, I mean, word travels fast around here, um, and the minute someone's you know has an opinion that you know that that gets validated, like boy, that horse didn't look very good. Uh, there was an Oaks horse, Kathleen O, that did not have a very good workout over the weekend, and all of a sudden she's on the you know she she was likely going to be the favorite, and uh, all of a sudden after the weekend she's the second choice or third choice on the morning line, and um, you know everybody that opinion just spreads like wildfire. Um, one anecdote, uh, yesterday was at a dinner with a number of folks from Churchill Downs and, um, you know, some places around the country. And, uh, there was some concern about Epicenter didn't go out on the track at, at all on Wednesday. And that, that seemed odd that he wouldn't go out and, you know, take a jog around the track. That's a, that's pretty typical derby week. And all of a sudden the speculation was just something wrong with, with Epicenter, you know? And uh, so I, I went right up to Asmussen today and asked him, I said, what, what was the deal with him not going out on the track yesterday? And he's like, Oh no, we just wanted to gate school. And it was all part of the game plan. He's fine. He galloped a mile and a half today, you know, no problem. So I'm, I'm lucky I can go up and, and ask them, 
you know, directly to, to kind of dispel any of those rumors. But that's the kind of stuff that can go around and, and some of it can be misinformation. Uh, and everybody's got an opinion around here, that's for sure. Um, so you just gotta, you gotta stick to yours. And that's what I, you know, tell a lot of horse players to do. I mean, if you have an opinion, you know, go with it. It's, it's the best way. I probably haven't spent as much time as I have in the past because I would totally psychoanalyze this race for months. Uh, and then, you know, when do also this year, I said, I took a different tack. I, I watched all prep races. I covered most of the prep races or wrote about them or handicapped them. Uh, but I really waited until the weekend to, to really put my spreadsheet together and do my degrees of separation and, you know, try to separate where I thought the horses uh, were going to be this year. And uh, I'm hoping that makes a big difference. And I got the winner this year that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, separating them in that article really helps me uh, to determine where I'm going to, where I'm going to land on Saturday. Before we talk about any of the horses in these tiers, can you take us into your creative process and coming up for the names and the categories for the different horses and the degrees of separation. Well, it's 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 all like you know factual. I, I my mom did have an AMC Gremlin, and and I drove it to high school and got mocked. And uh, it, but damn, that car was good. It, it would never fail us. Uh, and it had the old hatchback on it, and you know you had to twist it one way and lift it. And, uh, but that's uh, it. Just wasn't a fast car, so I kind of just kind of equivalent that with the. Uh, you know, the horses that just don't have the fast speed figures and then dumped them into that. And, um, you know, the party crasher, the wedding crash, it was, was the party crasher last year. I called it the wedding crasher this year. It's just, Hey, those horses that uh, are going to mess up your, uh, your trifecta or your superfecta, you got to think about it because a closer necessarily doesn't win the Kentucky Derby. And, and you know, there hasn't been one. And, and when they did, when they have won it, they've been, They've been like the 50 to one horses, say Giacomo uh, in 2005, mind that bird coming up the rail on the, in the slot that one day uh, in 2009. Um, so, but, but there's been a number of horses that are, you know, 20 to one and higher that, you know, have finished second or finished third. You have to watch out for them or you have to include them in, in some of your betting and try to determine who that is. Um, I think I use simplification uh, on Saturday. That's where I'm, I'm leaning towards my party crasher. That'll be probably the number four horse in my, on my, uh, on my picks uh, for the paper. So uh, it's a horse that uh, likely will be, uh, will be coming late and trying to, trying to get uh, to make a, make a move later on in the race. Uh, I talked to his trainer today, this morning, Antonio Sano, who, in the same spot I talked to him uh, four years ago when he had Gunavera as a Venezuelan trainer, very hard to understand, but one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, you know, last time I was just here, happy, smiley, and just to be here at the Derby, but this time I mean business, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not, you know, worried about this being my first and happy to be here and I'm here to win it. So, uh, so it's, it's just interesting, the different, uh, you know, types uh brett Favre, obviously he just couldn't oh, wait wait you skipped one you skipped one <laughs> I, I skipped George all the, a human fund division. The human fund oh yeah obviously the human fund is you know a horse where it's going to take a lot of money um you know i could have put happy jack in this is in this category because jacks all the jacks in the world will bet on this horse um and and you have a son jack right so that's going to be your, probably your 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 uh your pick or your son's pick uh and uh, or, or fans of the who uh, th there you go so so that happens you know, fans, sudden, there's you know, a whole, there's a huge pool of uh, money to draw from 
and this is a race that that gets crazy money, right? It's your birthdays, you know, your favorite numbers, you know, names. Uh, that's what people are betting on. You know, they have, you know, bet the hunch. And uh, so the human fund division is where I thought maybe the, you know, I think the, uh, the, the Japanese horse is going to take some of the Asian money, you know, uh, uh, and then that'll be a, a horse. And, and that horse has actually looked pretty good. And I, I toyed around using them. Which one is that, uh, uh, Gene? Crown, Crown Pride. So he qualified uh, winning the race in Dubai, the UAE Derby. Um, so he's, he's coming uh, over. The horse that's won that race has never had uh, success in the Kentucky Derby, but, uh, but he's, he's trained uh, interestingly here. Uh, he's, he's, he looks like a dressage horse in his training, the way he high steps and they have him doing fig- figure eights. And it's very uh, odd training compared to what, what happens in the States. And they blew him out yesterday, three furlongs, which is, you know, not, not a typical training method right before the Derby. So they it sounds just, like the, like the script of uh, a movie where the figure st- skater becomes, uh, you know, the, the, hockey player, the 50 right? goal scorer. Yes. And he, <laughs> exactly. So uh, he's not your normal throw out. I mean, normally he would be, you know, somebody I'd throw out, but I think uh, he, he might uh, do some damage if he, uh, if he's the real deal, he looks fast. So uh, on the track and, he, and running over there, they don't have the same set of speed figures, which makes makes it very difficult to, to, to handicap the international horses in a, in a U.S. race because you don't have the figures in the same type of um, ways to compare them in the past performances. Next up was the Afleet Alex division. That's the if we're going from the bottom up, that is the the fourth division. Right. And are those yep. the uh, fleet Alex? What did I have in there? You know, come on. Gene. I don't even remember. Charge it. Zozos. Oh, 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 the fleet Alex. Oh, so, so fleet Alex won the, um, oh, I'm glad you, he won both the uh, Preakness and the Belmont. So th- those are the horses that uh, could, we could see down the road win um, either the Belmont or the Preakness. So I had charge it. So tap a tap it um, sired horses won four of the last six or seven Belmonts. So charge it, who is a lightly raced horse. And, you know, I, I think he's just not experienced enough. He was, he was wave, you know, wavering down the lane in the Florida Derby. And I was like, are you going to get by this horse or not? And he, and he didn't because he was just couldn't, couldn't decide whether he was going to go inside the leader or outside the leader. Um, but he's, um, he's a horse that is big, strong, and uh, it looks like a Belmont horse to me. And the Affleet Alex division was thusly named uh, because uh, won't win the Derby, but will hit the board and somebody that you have to, or somebody uh, horses that you need to consider uh, yeah, yeah. Just in that regard to, to uh, place or show. And then your Brett Favre division. That's the ones I'm on the fence on. I can't really, couldn't really decide. And, you know, Brett Favre was, uh, you know, he retired what four or five times. <laughs> <laughs> right uh, so you couldn't really decide on you know, if you wanted to play or not so that those are and the, if you were to take horse. a poll at the time uh you know the, the quarterback you'd want on the field to most win you a game uh and the quarterback on the field who could cost you a game probably brett Favre wins both polls so yeah i, I could get this one <laughs> yeah so those are the ones i'm uh, on the fence and i'm probably still on the fence with some of them i think i've got mo donegal in there who's uh um, going from the rail and in, in the, in the past, the rail has been, you know, a, a throw out, uh, but they put a new gate in three years ago. Um, and I think I sent you a picture on that, um, 
where it really shows, if you look at it, the, 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 the old gate basically pointed the one horse right into the rail to the left. So uh, there, there have been horses like looking at Lucky, who was probably going to be the dirt, was the derby favorite. It just He drew the rail and he bounced off that rail right, you know, right off the start. He, he, his race was over and he came back and won the Preakness uh, two weeks later. Uh, showing how how good of a horse he was, even though he you know was banged up a little bit in the Derby. Um, but now that uh, there's a little bit more spacing uh, for the rail horse, and Modonigal is more of a uh, come from behind, or uh, um, you know he's going to take back, so he doesn't need to get out to the lead and, and get out in front of um, the rest of the horses at the start. Um, so he can kind of settle back and then you know, pick a spot to make us run later in the race. So Gene, Gene, as we look at these pictures here, just so that way we can delineate between the two, the one on the top is uh, what it used to look like, but the gate is in the same position. The gate, the gate is at the same spot, right? It's just that the rail has kind of been uh, flattened a, a little bit. No, so what they do, they now have, they now have all 20 gates in one gate. In the past, there were, in the past, in the one on the top, they had two gates. Uh, there was a one through 14. Right. There was a divide, there was a divide, gate, right. You can see a little break between 14 and 15 uh, in, in the picture. And that also caused problems uh, of horses in those gates because they would pinch down on each other and just you get squeezed out at the start and your derby's over. Uh, so it's made it a little more fair. Um, they're a little tighter uh, than, than they were in the past. Some of the jockeys have complained a little bit that, you know, the gate's a little tighter to get out of and, um, you know, those guys, those guys are small as it is. <laughs> so when they start complaining, it must be a little, uh, a little tighter. It's like when you uh, are used to uh, attending a baseball game at a, at a more contemporary ballpark, and then you check out Fenway Park or Wrigley Field, and uh, you see that those seats were built for totally different people. Um, right on, right on. Uh, Gene, then you have, uh, I have a quibble with your, with how you named your, your, Number one division. It's the Charlie Sheen division because, of course, it's all about winning. But isn't he a loser in so many ways? I mean, the <laughs> idea, you know, Charlie. That was the, there's an irony to Charlie Sheen claiming that it was that was all about winning. Well, that so, was a anyway, hashtag. Was we can, we can talk hashtag? about that some other time. But I just remembered back in the day when he was, you know, had his 15 minutes of fame. It was all about winning was and Tiger's winning, blood and all that stuff. Winning exactly. He that was his hashtag. So. Um, yeah, just, the, it's just a light way to look at the Derby, you know, that I know that I've, I've, I've had fun, fun with over the years, but it's also helped me, you know, to, uh, figure out where I'm going to head. So uh, tell us about the horses that you have, uh, in your Charlie Sheen division, uh, that you believe have the best chance to, uh, to have success Saturday. Yeah. Messier is, um, who's a Ontario bred. So he's a Canadian bred horse trying to become the third Canadian bred to win the Derby. Uh, Sonny's Halo, 1983, Northern, the legendary Northern dancer who, you know, ran at Fort Erie uh, in 1964. And uh, Messier would try to be the third. Um, he was bred at Sam Sun Farms. Uh, they've won five Queen's Plates up in, uh, in Toronto and they've won four Prince of Wales over at uh, Fort Erie. Uh, he was sold at uh, at auction. The Fazek kept in, and he's owned by an, uh, you know a number of partnerships. It's a it's a big ownership group. 
uh, it's kind of funny in the in the program they handed us. You can't even read it because the, the line of all the owners is about this big, and they didn't move the boxes so that you could read it all. So I, I couldn't even read it with the, even with my cheaters. I couldn't uh, read all the owners. There's about ten of them listed. Um, but he's named after the uh, the hockey player, obviously. Um, one of the uh, owners from SF Racing, his uh, father-in-law, uh, I think his name is Pat Hughes, played for the uh, 84 and 85 Stanley Cup team with Gretzky and Messier. So uh, um, he named uh, the horse after uh, after Messier and being an Ontario bred, that's, uh, that's interesting. He, he could be um, one of the only horses that wins the Derby and the Queen's Plate because he's eligible to, to run in the Queen's Plate. Do you uh, see, uh, do you see the September. Canadian... Do you see the Canadian market affecting the line like the Japanese market does for? Yeah, you know those, those guys all those guys all up there, you know, are, are all over him. So, and he's a good horse. I mean, he got beat in the Santa San Anita Derby by Taiba, who we'll talk about in a minute. Who's also in the in my sheen division. Um, they're both former Bob Baffert trainees and were forced to be moved to Tim Yakteen, uh, a trainer who took them over for the ownership groups. Uh, when Baffert was handed a 90-day suspension by the Kentucky Horse Racing Board, um, you know, based on the, you know, the happenings of last year's Derby with Medina, Medina Spirit. Um, so, um, Yakteen, I spoke with him today um, and asked him about, you know, so is, is, is Bob calling you and are you talking to him about it? And the, the order by the KHRB was that there's to be no contact. He's not allowed to take any phone calls. So he said at the moment that the horses were transferred, he has not talked to Bob. He's a former Baffert trainer, uh, assistant trainer. So he's worked with Bob uh, in the past, but he's been on his own for a number of years now. Um, so, you, you know, they're friendly, but, um, you know, he stated, you know, right to my face that uh, there's been no, uh, um, there's been no discussion. Let's put a pin in that for a second, Gene, because I want to uh, get into it, but I also don't want to break the rhythm of looking at these other horses in your Charlie Sheen division. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think, really, you know, Messi is probably going to be my top pick, Tim. He, um, you know, he, he's got Hall of Famer Johnny Velasquez aboard who rode authentic in 2020 to victory by taking him out front and, and just take him, taking him to the front, taking him around and holding off Tis the Law, who's the, who was the race favorite and everybody's favorite, Saratoga-based horse. Um, and then last year he rode Medina Spirit. And he, and he used the same tactic as, hey, I'm going to the lead. Catch me if you can. Uh, so Messi has got that same tactical speed. Uh, and he's by Empire Maker, uh, who won the Belmont. So he's got the stamina to, to stay the mile and a quarter. So um, even though he, you know, he got hooked in a speed duel in the Santa Anita Derby, I think he learned from that. Uh, I think Yakteen and uh, Velasquez will have a good game plan coming out of uh, gate six. Um, Stand on so is the morning line favorite at three to one. Let's just say for the record, Messier eight to one. Um, Taiba, who we've talked about already, 12 to one. Epicenter seven to two. Zandon slightly ahead of Epicenter as of, as of now at three to one. Um, I guess what is it about uh, Zandon that you're not as that makes you not as high a, uh, on his Messier? You know he's coming out of the he's coming out of the bluegrass, <clears throat> and um, Chad Brown's turf trainer. It's his, it's his he's never won the Derby. Um, this horse looks fabulous. I'm going to tell. I mean, I saw him this morning. He looks terrific, um, and I'm probably and he's probably going to beat me. But I just. I, he, he had a, he had a dream trip in the bluegrass 
uh, came from behind. I don't think the competition in that race was as, was as good as what some of these other horses have faced. Uh, I think the two West Coast horses, Taiba and, and Messier, are just a just a cut above. So, um, and Zandon's got he's a come from behind horse, so he's going to have traffic issues as opposed to the the other two that are you know more based speed based horses. So they're going to be more forwardly placed and and in a better spot. Uh, so he's going to he's going to be taking some dirt, you know, with a twenty horse field, and he's going to have to navigate a trip around uh, tiring horses probably later in the race. So. You know, like I said earlier, you know, the closers and the late stalkers are, you know, not not the ones that typically win the derby. So um, but I, I am recognizing and giving him respect because I think he's a good horse and uh, we're, we're going to see him down the road for sure. Um, and he's a beautiful horse and a beautiful black horse that uh, um, just just looks the part, and you know, rip, ripped muscles. The <laughs> uh, real deal. Now, Taba. Um, uh, is an interesting horse. Uh, four years ago, Justify, you guys know, won the Triple Crown, and he was the he broke the curse of Apollo, uh, 1882. No horse had won the Derby without running as a two-year-old, and Justify bust, busted that curse. Well, this year the curse of Leonidas is is uh, is on the hook, 1883. So no horse since that time, since Leonidas in 1883, won in his third career start. So that's an interesting uh, kind of tidbit that uh, he's he's going to try to uh, upend 130 you know nine year drought. Um, but in and, just uh, those two career races, Taiba's time is puts him at the head of this pack, right? Yeah. So his two speed figures, uh, buyer speed figures, which is the you know kind of the the standard um, in racing put out by the Daily Racing Forum is 103 and 102 those are the, the 103 is the highest in the race uh speed figure that's out there and 102 is second tied with epicenter uh so the horse is extremely talented he's just inexperienced uh, but he looks like a freak and uh you know i'm i'm not leaving him out because i think you know he could do some damage now i'm, I'm gonna put him third kind of similar to like he's very similar to like gunrunner who's who is actually uh his sire i believe uh, let me just double check that. Um, who finished third in the Derby? He was kind of a lightly raced. Yeah, good. He's a gun runner, so he's a, kind of a light, light. He was a lightly raced horse that finished third. Curlin, another another horse that uh, ended up being a horse of the year down the road. You know, he was one of those lightly raced horses coming into the Derby. Real, real, a lot of hype. He came in third. I just I, I'm going to put him in the same spot, and I think we'll see him down the road winning some you know major races in the summer. And then. Um... Did we we didn't talk about epicenter, did we? Uh, just 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 a little bit. I talked. We talked about him not working out, you know. Um, and I talked to you know it would be Steve Asmussen, who's a Hall of Fame trainer. He's zero for twenty six, I think, in the Derby, so it would be his first Derby win. Um, I think it would mean a lot to him. Uh, I asked him today, you know, what would it mean? He's like, I don't know because I don't know what that feeling is, uh, which which was interesting. He he typically has more than one. Uh, in the last few years, he's had two or three horses that, you know, in the race. So this year it's a little different. And I think he's got more focus that he's only has one horse in the race and he's a really good horse. I thought he'd be like, he was going to be the favorite, but I think everybody loved the way Zandon's looked in the last two weeks. So, uh, Mike Battaglia, who's been making the line, uh, for the Derby and for the last 47 years, um, decided to, that he thinks the money's going to land on, uh, Zandon. It's, it, you know what it's going to come down to is who Mattress Mac puts his money on. 
<laughs> either either Zandon or uh, or Epicenter. Mattress that, back. That'll that, that'll be the that'll be the favorite when he puts a couple mil down. You were talking. All right. So we were talking about Bob Baffert earlier, and I guess my question, and you were getting into it there about uh, whether or not he's had any contact with his with his people. He has two horses, Taiba and Messier, uh, that are considered. You know, they are in the Sheen division. Let's put it that way. Uh, at uh, eight to one for Messier and your pick, uh, and then Taiba at twelve to one. Uh, Baffert to me a very I guess there's the double initial of the BB and uh, the cheating uh, allegations and the, the victories and the legend and the fact that, uh, you know, you're only cheating if you've gotten caught and uh, cheaters never lose or whatever the hell adage you want to put is kind of a Bill Belichick figure in my mind. Um, what kind of shadow is Bob Baffert casting on Churchill Downs this week, even though he's not there and even though he's not supposed to be having contact, how, you, what, what do you think? What do you think's realistic of, of Bob Baffert's distance? And then just what kind of, you know, what kind of is, is he looming still? Well, they've, they've erased pretty much everything here about him, so his presence isn't very, you know, isn't very well known other than people, you know, talking about it. You know, so um, they they took all the plaques off his barn. That, that, you know, it was a staple. I mean, he was right off the main shoot uh, for, for morning training and he'd walk up and you'd see his, you know, his, the triple crown winning tr plaques on the barn and everything. And it's wiped clean pretty much. And uh, even on the Derby glass, the uh, 2021 winner, it's just blank <laughs> because they didn't have time, I think, to, to put Mandaloon on. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've, I've heard that he's just, you know, not doing anything. He's just, you know, not even watching horse racing is what I heard, you know, in the, in the whispers here on the backstretch, but uh, you know, it, everybody knows those are his two horses, you know, and, and I don't think Yakteen, who was a, you know, pre assistant trainer with Baffert has changed anything or any of the methods that, uh, you know, that Bob had been doing. I think they're probably pretty similar since he, he was under him. Um, you know, they did do a blowout with Taiba um, on, on Wednesday. Three furlongs looked great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure NBC tomorrow, I mean, we'll, you know, millions of viewers is going to, you know, it, it'll be a, it'll be a, a focus at, at some point in the, in the broadcast uh, on Saturday. Um, yeah. I, I think most of us have, you know, Baffert, uh, I don't know what do you, what would you call it? Just malaise. It's just uh, we're kind of sick of it and just ready to move on and having you know crown a new Derby winner and see where we go. Do you think then, because you know you're you're exhausted of it a little bit as somebody who covers it? Do you think that this is a time for horse racing to turn the page? And it's not that Bat Bob Baffert is going away, but he does wear on you. It is like Tom Brady in the NFL, right? It's just like as a Bills fan, it's. Yeah can this guy please just go away um yeah. it's like there... stadium articles <laughs> that's right please go away <laughs> is is it like that for you too uh, yeah it is i mean it's just you know you know it's taken up space in my article it's like I, that i could be right writing about somebody else that uh you know that's more positive and um you know better for the sport 
Um, you know, the one good thing that come that's come out of it is that you know they're they're really trying to um, organize some of the drug rules, um, getting getting involved uh, certain organizations that I think the Olympics have used, and you know trying to clean up the sport as best as possible. Um, and the fact that they banned them, you know, at least they're 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 making they're taking those steps to you know deter others from doing what he did. Your reaction? Or what he what he allegedly did? Yes, of course. Uh, your your reaction, your visceral reaction, merely underscores my comparison of him to Bill Belichick. Uh, so yeah, it's just like yeah. you can you can you can acknowledge that there's a there's a greatness there, but uh, let's uh, let's maybe get something new. Let's let's get something else to talk about. Ready, ready to move. Ready to move on. You know that there's. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff that could happen in this derby. So I'm hoping uh, we have a good result on Saturday. Jonah, I don't want to box you out from any of your, uh, your horse racing questions. You have the expert <laughs> here uh, waiting uh, to, for, for your, uh, for your questions. I've been, I've been hogging all the, all the time here. I have very few questions, but I am interested in the local angle, a bit of a local angle extending out to Rochester, Victor area. And Barbara rode that horse in the jockey Rylu Gutierrez. Did I say that right? Raylu, yep. Raylu. The one thing I found interesting was that he was a high school athlete, two-sport athlete, lacrosse and basketball. And I don't know, is that common? Is that something that you see with the jockeys? Because it always seemed to me like they would come up in the stables and it was, you know, you were born to be a horse jockey in some ways. Yeah, it's kind of odd. He's a suburban kid, you know, and I talked to one of his high school buddies uh, on the phone today and he's just like, you know, it's, it's surreal. You know, he's just like, a, you know, one of the kids in the neighborhood that would, you know, play, you know, would throw a lacrosse ball around or play some hoops in the backyard and very talented. And, um, you know, it was interesting to hear him say that he was, uh, you know, a real leader and, you know, made sure that every he, he would make all the other players on the team look good, you know, as, a, as the point guard and distribute the distribute the rock and um you know and and he's he's doing the same thing for you know john ortiz he's you know trying trying to do good things that he, he he won three races yesterday you know and uh uh on the undercard here and just you know he won the big stakes race yesterday so he's just a really a, a a nice kid and he um he's got a good way about him he's he's extremely intelligent he uh, has an, a degree in exercise science from uh, Sydney Cortland and uh, wants to be a physical therapist down the road. Um, you know, it, most, most of these, these jockeys, you know, came, came up in living in, uh, you know, the Dominican or um, Central America somewhere and just, uh, you know, had to really scrape to, 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 to learn how to become a jockey and, you know, grew up on the backstretch and, um, you know, but he's, uh, he's really earned a right to, to be where he is. And, uh, He's earned the respect of, uh, you know, the guys like I read Ortiz and Jose Ortiz and Mike Smith. Um, so he's, uh, he's the real deal. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's fun because he's with a, with a trainer who was at his first derby and he's like, Hey, we're doing this together, you know, and we're, uh, we're having fun. And, uh, you know, we got nothing to lose and, you know, we have a, we have a good horse and, you know, we're going to give it a best shot on Saturday. And I mean, the kid was completely relaxed. I mean, just, didn't, didn't seem like that he's going to be right in front of 170,000 people on Saturday. He might have a different feeling at about uh, 6.30 uh, Saturday. 
<laughs> That's <laughs> a <know>? good chance. <laughs> uh, the Kentucky Derby, by the way, in case uh, you're wondering, we didn't say it off the top. Uh, post time is a few minutes before 7 p.m. on Saturday. That's on NBC uh, coverage beginning with the undercard and all the different analysis at 12.30 p.m. for the 148th uh, running of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, and check out Gene's coverage at the Buffalo News. Not only his analysis, but as he was just talking, his feature on Ray Lou Gutierrez uh, from Victor High uh, is up at uh, buffalonews.com right now. Um, you know, talking about a, a jockey that is – uh, oh, I guess let me just mention this too because you may be uh, – Barber Road, which is Ray Lou Gutierrez's horse, um, is in the Wedding Crasher division. Uh, and 30 to one morning line odds uh, out of the 15th pos- or 14th position. Um, so not Barbaro, but Barber Road. Little difference. Just don't don't get too excited. I don't think this is. There's a progeny. Uh, this is not a bloodline uh, thing, is it? Gene, no, no. This isn't no. Barber Barbaro's. No, he, uh, no, no relation to Barbaro. The grandchild. Uh, two, okay. 2006 um, winner. So we're talking about Ray Lou Gutierrez as a, as a two-sport star uh, at Victor High School, with one of those sports being basketball, something that you don't uh, anticipate writing about, a jockey. Uh, also might not be what you anticipate uh, talking about with your accountant uh, slash a horse racing reporter, Gene Kirshner, college basketball player. Tell us, tell us about those days, Gene, because we're going to use that as a little transition. We're going to talk some college hoops and what's going on in the big four in the portal. CTBK, your company, a big supporter of, uh, of local sports all over the place. I think you're a UB season ticket holder, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but tell us, you give us your basketball background. Brag on yourself. Blow your bugle. <laughs> so I went to... Uh... North Syracuse High School, now a defunct school. It's now it merged in with Cicero, who was our rival back in the day. Um, and we uh, were in the sectional finals my junior year and uh, lost to Corcoran and Howard Trish my senior year. Uh, got to play at Manly Fieldhouse. Uh, my senior year team was ranked 19th in the state, and all five starters played college ball. Um, the center played at Colgate. The uh, Power forward played at St. John Fisher and set the scoring record in Rochester. Um, guard played at Buff State, and uh, another guard played at Cortland, and I played at Elmira College. Uh, and went there and uh, captained uh, the team for uh, my junior year um, and played pretty much three years, two and a half years. I broke into the lineup uh, in this, my sophomore year. Uh, my team was a lot different. My high school team was six eight, six five, six three, six two, six one. We were pretty big, um, you know, suburban high school. Uh, got beat by the city kids, you know, CBA. My my junior year in Corcoran, my senior year. Uh, but Elmira uh, got to get got to the uh, ECACs twice in my career. I played with an All American, Trenton Tate, who was uh, uh, out of Adelaide Stevenson High School. That uh, played with Ed Pinckney in high school and Freddie Brown to, uh, you know, guys that uh, played at Georgetown and Villanova and Pinkney played in the NBA. But Trenton, Trenton's a client of mine still, uh, the accounting firm and a good friend. And uh, uh, I get, uh, I think I'm still like seventh on the assist record at the school. And that was all because of him uh, playing with him. I just had to get him the rock and it was all, it was not a problem from there. Uh, so had some fun playing in school, didn't get drafted by the NBA. So stuck no. with my accounting 
was that stuck with my accounting degree um, and my uh, 24 inch vertical. All right. So Gene, I have to ask you, you, uh, it begs the question. You mentioned that you were a captain as a junior. What happened, man? Was there a scandal? What, what, you didn't, was there there a mutiny in the locker room? So I was a tri, this is an interesting story. So I was a tri captain, right. Um, as a junior and, I was also interning with the local beverage company, uh, the local Anheuser-Busch distributor in, um, in Elmira. And uh, I was a marketing intern actually and did, was doing a lot of finance reports for them and, but also going to bars and putting up neon signs and going to uh, grocery stores and packing out coolers. Um, and uh, I think he thought, I, and I, I did some bartending, so I think he thought I lost a little focus uh, the coach. So he said, I think I'm going to just have two captains a senior year. And I said, you know, I said, I'm the point guard. I'm going to be running the team anyway. So if they want to, you want to make them captains, that's fine. And, uh, it all, it all worked out. Uh, I had a great relationship with, with the coach and everything. Well, that's so, all understandable. That's a, that is a good, yeah. that, all right. so I just, I just had a lot of things going on, you know, trying to, you know, get ready for my business career down the road. So I, my internship was pretty important basketball probably wasn't as important at that point. And, um, you know, what can I tell you? I picture a stogie chomping coach talking to his athletic director saying, uh, I think we'd have a run at the championship this year. We just can't get Kirshner out of the bars. <laughs> yeah, but I was working in the bars. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's, a, it's a more colorful story the other way. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Let's get in. I mean, Jonah knows more about this than I do, but uh, I mean, what, what's your overview as somebody who's been uh, watching big four basketball so closely and it is the height of portal season. Um, I wanted to, cause you're going to be on here today and Jonah and I are going to talk about the portal. Well, what's your, your take on how this has impacted uh, college sports here, especially with the, the teams here in the big four that you follow. It seems like, it seems like they lose more than they gain. It hasn't been a really good thing for UB, that's for sure. I mean, it seems to – and even St. Bonaventure's lost, I think, their whole starting five, you know, either through the portal or going pro or whatever they're doing. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's a really good thing. I think the fact that it's it's like free agency for college kids and the fact that there's not some closure, it's got to be so difficult in the recruiting end of things for the coaches to determine, you know, what they what their needs are if anything because the kids are just you know leaving you know at any point in time and i think limit you know maybe limiting the time frame or having closed and open periods for this portal um would would really be a good thing uh or be a better thing um and hopefully there wouldn't be as much legal you know litigation that would result from something like that which i think is what they're what they're trying to avoid um you know, in that respect, but it certainly hasn't been good for, you know, the mid middle, middle market team or the middle, you know, conference teams. Uh, um, in my opinion, I'd be interested to hear what Jonah has to say. I know he follows it pretty, pretty closely. Yeah. Well, it's affected just about every team. I don't know. It affects different teams at different levels with different coaching situations differently, but I don't know if there's a team in the country that doesn't have at least one or two players in the portal or, there's definitely not a team in the country that's not recruiting players out of the portal. I think the biggest uh, effect that I've noticed or maybe the most widespread effect is how much it's 
hurt some and affected all of the high school recruits because a lot of teams now, if they lose a veteran player to a transfer, they're looking for a similarly experienced player to come in and replace them. They're recruiting the transfer market and the junior college transfers even before they're starting to look at high school players, unless they're five-star blue chip top 100 level recruits. So that's really changed the recruiting calendar and the way high school players can get into college and get scholarships. And a lot of players I think right now might be committing to certain schools at certain levels, believing that they might be able to up transfer later on. Cause that's what, I think that's what you see is maybe if you're a fan or observer of big four, Buffalo, St. Bonaventure, Canisius, Niagara, mid-major basketball, what, what is disappointing. I think the fans are something that we're seeing a, a, an increase of is a good player. Usually it used to be you transferred for a reason, playing time more often than not, but it wasn't, you were transferring to be in a better situation because it wasn't going to your liking at the first school. Now good players who enjoyed their first year, two or three at a smaller college are trying to transfer up. And, and the portal is a good way to describe it, we, but it's not necessarily the portal. that's the problem. The portal is, really just a means and a technology that allows players to take a little more autonomy over declaring to transfer. They don't need a release from the school, but it's really the, the change in the rule that you don't have to sit out a year, which wasn't the case in other sports. It was only a men's basketball and football rule that was in place. The NIL money, which has had a huge factor in all of this. And those two things combined with some other, the court decisions and things like that, it's really changed the culture. I think of, college athletics and student athletes. And in some ways for the better, I think for the athlete's sake, it's been for the better, but for the fan, it's really changed the way you look at sports. It's just changed. You, you don't see a player coming in as a high school player. And then as a freshman through their four years and get to follow their career quite as much. You really never know who's coming back and who's going to be there on the team next year. And you have to learn all new players that come in and transfer. But what do you guys think is more important in today's, in today's game, and I guess there's two different um, two different thoughts or two different um, ways to go with this question, both nationally in a, in a holistic sense within college basketball or college football, just in general, the portal, or locally with the big four teams. What's more important, recruiting, high, recruiting out of high school or recruiting out of the portal? Yes, yeah, I mean – Either, either, it depends whoever. who you are, but it's become more recruiting out of the portal. It's a quicker way and you're getting more of a known entity and who this player is and how they play. Even if you're recruiting, as some of the schools have done, Division II players and junior college players and players from smaller conferences, but you, you see film and you know how they play. You can talk to coaches. You see how they are as college players where recruiting out of high school is – a more inexact science in a little bit of a way. You don't know how their games are going to transfer exactly. But if you're Duke or Kentucky or Memphis or, or one of these schools that's trying to get the very best players in the country, well, then you're going after the best high school recruits first, I believe. Seems like the uh, booster clubs with the most money that can, you know, back the NIL stuff is a big, a big thing that can happen too. I mean, so does that mean like the, the schools that have the well-heeled, you know, booster clubs, are they going to have the advantage over the other schools that don't, you know? And, you know, the other thing is the um, having us, you know, a graduate having the ability to transfer a second time, right? Isn't that one of the other uh, things they may, you know, try to end? 
Yeah, graduates always been able to transfer after four years for that fifth year if they didn't play, they had a redshirt season, and that's still in place. What's really muddy, thing, I think it's the timing of all of these things coming in together, and then players have the extra season of eligibility from the pandemic year, and all of that has combined for it's just created a dynamic where just about every player, every athlete might as well put their name in the portal and get re-recruited and see – what kind of new situation might be out there because maybe they can come back to their previous school or maybe they could find a better playing time situation, a bigger league or NIL money is I think a factor in a lot of these cases, but it's all happened at the same time. And it might never be quite this active again, because in terms of that one-time transfer rule, well, I think it's one third of men's college basketball, women's college basketball. I don't know the numbers, but I think it's somewhere similar and a lot of football players, some similar percentage. That won't sustain every year because, you know, some of these players have already used their one-time transfer rule. They won't be able to do it again next year. And that extra season of eligibility won't be there or that'll fade out of the system as years go by. But the rules will stay the same and it could always be a potential for a player to come to a mid-major school, be all rookie team or maybe even potential all-conference and then think it's time to up-transfer and it's time to go to a bigger league or a top 25 team that will always, I think, be part of the equation now going forward. How has this impacted your fandom, Gene? It's, it's hard to get in a rhythm. It's, it, you know, with college teams, especially the beauty of following the big four teams is you're going to have these guys for, for four seasons and you get to know them. And now that's, it's, it's difficult to do. So I bring my son to the uh, UB games and, you know, he got to know the players, you know, and who they are. And, you know, I don't think I'm going to know any of them next year. So it's, it's, it affects, it affects you because it's like, you know, you, you have this bond, you kind of, you know, this psychological bond with these players, like, you know, uh, that, you know, Jonathan or, or, uh, you know, Sagu or any of those guys that have played, you know, I've seen them since the, you know, first year. And it's like, all of a sudden they're, they're gone. And it's like, what is team chemistry going to be like next year? They got to put a whole new, you know, group together from, you know, mismashing it between the different, you know, transfers that are coming in. So, and, you know, they had, a nice, they, they had a really good run over the last few years. And, you know, I'm wondering what's going to happen down at Bonnie's, you know, because they they had a solid five that, you know, were supposed to come back. And, you know, I hear some stuff down there that, you know, they're, they're following that NIL money is what, what's happening. So I think absolutely. And it's it's not just the second five. I think every player that played last year is either in the portal or Jalen Attaway is a player who graduated and said he's going to play pro. And some of these other players, Kyle Lofton and Oshina Shunier were entering the NBA draft while maybe keeping their eligibility, and now they're in the transfer portal. So we don't know exactly where all of these players will land, but they could possibly have the entire team new again next year. And and they did have a lot of seniors, so you thought there would be a a lot of turnover. But without a coaching change, you really don't expect that amount of discontinuity from a good program. Mark Schmidt's been building that up for years and years, hasn't had – a lot of players transferring out and leaving early. And now it's a complete rebuild of the roster and they're getting some good players in. They got a player from St. Peter's run. That was a, yep, you know, a really good player for them in the NCAA tournament. So I, I think that the talent will level out after a while, but it's just such a turnover, especially a community like Olean and St. Bonaventure where they really get to know the players. And it's a lot different. What I find somewhat interesting back to what Tim asked you about being a fan is when we follow pro sports, there's a lot of interest in transactions and the comings and goings of players and all this kind of 
rumors and innuendo about where a player's going and why and teaming up together in the NBA. And even I don't follow European soccer that closely, but transfer day is a big deal in those leagues overseas and things like that in that sport. I don't sense that this is something that college fans are finding fun to follow. Maybe at the highest levels where you're really just getting blue chip players replacing other blue chip players at Alabama or something like that. Maybe it's interesting to see who you get, but I don't find that there's a lot of hand wringing going on from fans and media and even people within the sport about what's going on with the transfers and everything that's come into the college athletic landscape lately. It doesn't seem like something people, other than the players who are maybe are getting some benefit from it, but it doesn't seem like many other people are enjoying this time of year. I you totally know, agree. Draft Knicks, like you say, people who are just into the, the Rubik's Cube at more than, you know, being a general manager rather than playing the game. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, and there's media that's kind of reporters that are very much reporting who's in the transfer portal and where they end up and keeping databases and sheets like that. If Jeff you cover manager. one sport, if you, you know, let's we have our old friend Mike Rodak down there in, in, in uh, uh, Birmingham who covers Alabama athletics and he's covering football and basketball, but there are people out there who cover just college basketball. This is a godsend for them. It helps them justify their existence and come up with content year round, like almost like an NFL reporter or, uh, or anybody covering, uh, you know, any of the, any of the major league sports, it's a full-time gig now. Yeah, absolutely. But in another way, these, an athlete could put out his transfer, graphic or how he's announcing his graphic on Instagram or a new social media network that you've never even seen before at 10 o'clock at night. And you might have to follow up on that. And it could happen the next day. Jeff Goodman could tweet out that so-and-so is in the transfer portal in the morning. So it's very unpredictable and not to complain about, you know, our jobs and stuff, but following that is a lot more of a 24 seven job than it used to be and recruiting right. somewhat the same way. And maybe that's why that website is called 24 seven sports. Cause there's always maneuvering and different things happening and it's a little harder to stay. It's hard to stay ahead and it's hard to keep up unless you're really obsessed with following certain information outlets and certain players own social medias and really being on top of that all of the time. Do you think that St. Bonaventure, it's a, uh, the double-edged sword of they're, they're able to attract a certain caliber of athlete because they're in the A-10, but unlike the Mid-American Conference or, you know, or another, or the, the Metro Atlantic, uh, when these kids go around to the bigger markets that they play as opponents, they get seen, they get more exposure. So therefore these, you see St. Bonaventure on national television at least once a week, sometimes two times a week, cause they're good enough. And CBS sports has that package and et cetera, et cetera, that these kids get seen and it makes it easier for them to leave because they are more exposed than somebody from UB or Niagara. And they're a, better, they're a better caliber of a player, too, but it, it kind of just opens well, it up. Yeah, but the idea, or what I think some people thought you might see with NIL and, and things like that, is that maybe being the best player on a mid-major team was going to be more lucrative than being the eighth man on a power conference team. Because not all of these players are transferring up. And in fact, I don't know how the numbers are going to shake out this year. If you look at last year, the majority of transfers are down transfers. And about maybe 30% of the players that were in the transfer portal last year didn't end up at another school. So it's not always an upgrade. It is for the, the better players that we know. And when we see the examples of that and 
That's what every player is probably hoping to get out of being in the transfer portal. But that's not always how it goes. And I guess the thought was you could be the best player at UB and get some local car dealership or something like that as your NIL money. But these collectives have come in and changed that. Sometimes every player on a certain team is able to tap into an NIL market. And there's different ways that just being at a bigger school might be more financially beneficial than being a better player getting more minutes and more exposure on television at a smaller school. That NIL money would have kept uh, Gene out of the bar his senior year. Well, I would say a lot of these athletes might need Gene's services, might need an accountant to keep track right. of all these things. If they had a three-point line, I'd have a better chance of getting some of that NIL money. <laughs> Gene, without uh, sharing secrets, do you find uh, NIL uh, – are there on the local tax returns? Do we have NIL stuff happening here in Western New York? Uh, I don't have any student athletes as clients, so no, that's true. You get student know. athletes; they're parents. They're uh, they're they're still dependents, right? Yeah, a student exactly athlete. So. Technically, technically, if you're in college and you're under what twenty five, you still can be independent. So I guess that. Yeah, I haven't seen much, so um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to tell you anyway. It's all right. We, we can uh, go off the record. No, of course, Gene would never do that. By the way, I should say, swear on my uh, children's lives. I'm not saying this uh, for, uh, for effect or because the title sponsor of our show is here in, in person form. Uh, I know somebody who a week and a half or two weeks before tax deadline uh, was in a bind with his or her other accountant and over something that I thought was pretty silly. So I reached out to Gene. He agreed it was silly. CTBK handled it like that. Highly recommend CTBK from a personal standpoint and, I guess, speaking for my friend, and his or her issue that he or she had with this previous accountant. They were shorthanded, this other accounting firm. They said they weren't gonna be able to file the taxes on time, even though it was two weeks out. CTB did not care. They said, bring it. And they did it. How about that? CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. Appreciate the endorsement. Well, I was giving you a chance to, if you wanted to elaborate on, and you know, make a sales. Well, we're, short, we're shorthanded too, but uh, you know, we do favors for people who do favors for us. So favors. Oh, see, no, I, I didn't think it was a favor. I didn't think it was a, no, no, no. It was all, everything was on the up and up. Absolutely. Um, this is what we Gene, like to call sponsored content. <laughs> Gene, thank you for this. Uh, enjoy Louisville. Enjoy all the races. Uh, once again, 148th running of the Kentucky Derby Saturday broadcast begins on NBC at 1230. Uh, and then if you're just interested in uh, the Kentucky Derby, you just want to check out the main event, be sure you uh, tune in before seven. So I think they want to say 657 PM. There is post time or something like that. So um uh, be, be at, in front of your television or at the OTB or wherever you want to watch it at the casino uh, before 7 p.m. Uh, also should be mentioned, uh, we should have talked about it before we switch topics. Gene, when it comes to his uh, reportage on the Kentucky Derby or on horse racing, I should say, one of the best in the world. 
and he is at all the races. And I know that COVID is uh, over and things are opened. I see Tim Layden is now uh, covering his first Kentucky Derby since 2019. But the list of people who covered all of the, the uh, Triple Crown and all the major races, the Breeders' Cup, is uh, about three people long. Gene, maybe two people long. And one of them is Gene I think, I think it was two. It was two in 2020, yep. Gene Kirshner of the Buffalo News. So uh, check out his coverage there. Gene, thanks for this. Thanks, Tim. Safe Jonah, travels. Always. And uh, we'll talk again soon. And thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.